As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our weekend review we're looking back on a weekend where Chelsea could only stare as Everton slightly eased their relegation despair and Richarlison threw a flare where Real Madrid won title number 35 and Carlo Ancelotti once again proved he's the coolest man alive and come of the man come of the ooh for a Philly side whose form has been slightly poor as Nashville didn't have delusions of grandeur as their home opener that was bombastic and dirigue ooh <laughs> Also, as women were relegated and this game is stupid and I hate it. I don't like it anymore. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who keeps his podcast afloat like Jordan Pickford keeps Everton afloat, but with much less silly face-pulling Taylor Rockwell. Hello. And ideally, fewer, like, obvious concussions. I feel like that post-match interview with Jordan Pickford, uh, like, not even trying to question his intelligence or anything like that, it just did make me wonder if he had maybe taken one too many shots directly to the face with some of the way he explained what was happening. But credit to Jordan Pickford and credit to Everton as well. I imagine he just hits himself in the face when he's excited. Can you imagine what he's like if he finds, like, the right cereal that he likes in the supermarket? <laughs> he probably goes insane. <laughs> Just very excited, uh, but then still somehow uh, takes the cereal box to the face. I'm not quite sure how he manages to pull that off. <laughs> I think this is in the outro of the movie Old School, where Will Ferrell's in the supermarket, and I think he gets a date, and he starts like karate kicking all the cereal. That's what I imagine Jordan Pickford doing. That's how I imagine most footballers. I think I think cereal is probably a, a source of levity until Antonio Conte says you're not allowed to have it anymore. <laughs> Very much so. Well, Taylor, joining us today, a man who never fumbles the pass, unlike Fiorentina's goalkeeper, our man in Glasgow, Graham Rothman. Hello. Hello. I mean, I, I feel like I fumble the pass quite often. I mean, I fumble pretty much every sentence I say on this podcast, but th- thank you, Ryan Bailey. I appreciate it. That's just your accent, Graham. It's okay. You're not fumbling. That's true. That is. I'll put it down to the accent. You're doing very well. Rounding out our pack, Graham, a man who hits the spot like Song Hong Min, left-footers from 25 yards, Arizona Joe Lowry. Oh, Ryan, thank you so much. And uh, I am truly sorry about AFC Wimbledon. Soccer is is sucky sometimes, and I think it was sucky for you this weekend, uh, even if it wasn't sucky for Everton and really every team but Leeds. 
uh, in the Premier League relegation battle. Thank you very much, Joe. Much appreciated. Why don't we talk about that for a second, actually? Um, uh, as you infer there, Joseph, my team, FC Wimbledon, which is 20 years old, the Phoenix Club started from Wimbledon FC uh, for the first time in 20 years, was relegated uh, on Saturday from League Two to League One, third to fourth tier in the English system. Uh, it's my second relegation of my lifetime. The last time we were relegated in our former guys uh, from the Premier League in the year 2000. That was pretty sad. Pretty sad uh, this weekend as well. Um, Wimbledon, uh, we've got a fairly unique story. Started in 2002, worked our way up from the very, very bottom of the soccer pyramid, literally holding trials in a public park for players on like a Saturday afternoon. And we got all the way up into the Football League, the top four tiers in 2011. Actually, the last game I watched before I went to live in the US in 2011 was the playoff final at the Etihad uh, in 2011. Uh, we got into League One, the third tier in 2016. Four seasons there. And Joe, having the lowest budget in the league and having just bought a brand new stadium and having sold our best striker to Van Wilder and Mack, um, who offered him two and a half times his salary at Wrexham. He didn't want to leave, but was forced to go, unfortunately. That's another story entirely. Am I blaming Ryan Reynolds for us being relegated? Yes, yes, I am actually, yeah. Um, but we did have six wins all season long. Our last win was December 7th. You don't stay up with that kind of form. It's not ideal. It's not ideal, Graham. And also it's not ideal that we had the lead 13 times since December 7th and didn't win any of those games. That's not very good. So I'll I tell you what, Graham, I, we're going to talk about Everton against Chelsea uh, very shortly. I was kind of upset watching that game not because of the trauma, well, because of the trauma of the weekend, but also because the fight they showed on the field there at Goodison yeah. Park, not just in the stands as well with the fans, but you could, it felt like everyone was lifted. Everyone wanted that win to happen. And the saddest thing about my team, Graham, was we didn't really show that fight. Yeah. So my, my team has also been relegated uh, fairly recently, also more than once. And um, they're kind of, there's two different types of relegations and Southern Albion have had them. So one of them is there's a bit of fight showing. You think, okay, next season things are going to be better and we're actually going to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond and maybe we'll actually win some more games and maybe it might actually be some good fun. And then I've also suffered a relegation as a fan where everyone is absolutely furious and it feels like the club is kind of coming apart at the seams. You, it sounds like Wimbledon is leaning towards the latter rather than the forward, uh, the former. Yes, yes, it is, Graham. Yes, it is. Oh, it's a, it's okay. a top downward situation, definitely. Um, yeah, pretty sad. I'll tell you what, though, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I, in a way, I'm okay with it because I still have a team. We have a brand new stadium. We're probably going to win a few more games next season. And once again, we have a team. There was a point where our team was stolen away from us uh, 20 years ago. I literally didn't have a team anymore. And I'll tell you what, about 20 years ago, at the turn of the millennium, I kind of fell out of love with soccer. When Wimbledon was killed and moved uh, to the town of Milton Keynes, I stopped watching it for maybe two seasons. Just didn't like game anymore. Uh, obviously, I got pulled back in because that's why I'm here today, but... Um, that feeling is worse than a relegation, Graham. I'll tell you what. Yeah, but let me let me tell you, as someone whose club was taken over by the fans, how long ago was that? Thirteen years ago now. Yeah, that that <laughs> that feeling will wear off, and the rage will just seep <laughs> into your every fiber. So you can look forward to that. Ryan, Ryan, I have one more question for you. Sorry, <laughs> while while you let that just sort of soak in around you. Um, so you mentioned that Wimbledon is the, or was the poorest team in League One, but they also just opened a new stadium. Yeah. Where where did that money come from, and, and why are they in such a difficult financial situation? 
com- a combination, Joe, of sort of a, a standard loan. And instead of paying interest on more of that standard loan, we raised several million from uh, bonds and from the fans themselves. So basically, effectively self-finance the stadium and had to cut a few corners here and there from the original plans. But basically, the stadium is as we wanted it to be. Are there seats? There are seats. There are nearly uh, there's over eight thousand of them, Graham. And we've wow. uh, we've been our attendances have been way up because Kings Meadow uh, held a, a few of fans and that, and we get more because we're back in our home where we belong in Plough Lane in SW19, not far from that tennis tournament, Graham. Hmm, very mm, nice. Yeah, it looks like a nice stadium. Genuinely, I would I would like to visit at some t- at some point. Fun story about Hearts, who also self funded the the renovation of new, their new stadium. When I mentioned the seats, Hearts uh, actually forgot to order their seats. When they, that's a true story. You can Google it. Somebody got their, fired. They, lit, literally, someone did get fired for that. Again, that's a true story. You can Google it. They, they were a few weeks out from opening their new stadium when they realised, or their new stand, their new main stand, uh, they realised that there were no seats arriving anytime soon, and it was delayed for that reason. Wonderful. They didn't go with the all-standing uh, option then, Graham. No. no, yeah, that would have been some good improv. I'll tell you what, I had a quantum of solace before we started recording, listener, because Joe reminded me my other team, Charlotte FC, will never be relegated! So that's something. Thanks, Joe. So the sky isn't falling? Should we just keep doing James Bond references as we go? (laughs) Uh, Why why don't we uh, continue the melancholy and infinite sadness section, Taylor, uh, with some rather sad news we also got over the weekend with Mina Riola the super agent who died on Saturday, age 54, after uh, battling a serious illness for several months. You may recall, listener, if you were on Twitter a few days earlier last week, there were rumours that Mino had sadly passed away, and very sadly they came to pass over the weekend. Uh, Riola, famously the agent of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba, Erling Haaland, and many, many more. Um, it's a difficult one, Taylor, because agents don't get the best rap. But when you look at the reaction to Riola from um, his his clients, should we say, his his players, they unreservedly adored him. Yeah, and, and and I think that's the kind of like the difficult one for me to get my head around is because you hear about about him from clubs, from managers, uh, about how much they don't like him or the kind of open feuds he had with Sir Alex Ferguson and Pep Guardiola. Uh, and and maybe that biases me a little bit, but talking to Graham, talking to you guys has been really interesting and in sort of seeing the other side of that, uh, especially Graham making the point about like how beloved he was by his players, how much he protected those players. I think that does go a long way towards helping me understand how important he was and why he was who he was. Yeah, I, I, I can understand why a lot of people didn't like Mino Raiola. He was quite an abrasive figure, seemed to be um, quite arrogant and would speak out of turn uh, a lot in, in the media, certainly with regards to Paul Pogba's future recently. But I I, I struggle to kind of uh, harbour the, the, the hatred that a lot of people had for him just because... He, if he embodied soccer's ills, modern the, the 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 ills of the modern game, I think he was a symptom of that rather than a cause. And you look at the likes of Pogba and Zlatan and Balotelli, and they all stuck with Raiola, and that was because he he fought for them. And and a, he is a he was a self made man. You know, he starts out as a owning a pizza restaurant, and then gets a single footballer, and kind of builds it from there. So he's not from. He's not from money or anything like that. Everything that he had, he kind of built for himself. And he's largely representing the interests of generally working class young men. So if he's getting millions and millions of euros or dollars or pounds for his clients and for himself from these billionaire owned mega clubs, then I say fair play, like shoot your shot. And and that's that's kind of my argument uh, for being pro Raiola mm-hmm. as he, he kind of represented his clients as, as best that he could. 
And that's really what what it comes down to, right? Is like he doesn't he definitely doesn't care or wouldn't have cared about my opinion or a manager's opinion because I think that's ultimately what he existed to do was be the bulwark against those figures, these kind of celebrated figures that are almost untouchable. Nobody criticizes Pep Guardiola, but that means that if you're going into negotiations with him or with Man City, there's an element there that like creates an imbalance. And I think Mino Raiola constantly fought to restore that balance for his players whatever way he could, usually with public feuding, public criticism. But I think that went a long way towards, if not removing the mystique, then at the very least sort of putting himself on level footing to have better uh, negotiations and get the best he could for his players. I also love the little moments that show how much he meant or maybe how spoiled some of his players were. Did you all see the one about Mario Balotelli? Uh, that the, I think it was, I forget which obit it was, but it was about how Balotelli called him when his house was on fire instead of the fire yeah. brigade. Like <laughs> that's how like first and foremost he was in his <laughs> player's mind for better or for worse. That's epic. I can't imagine what advice he would have given in that instance as well. That's uh, the fire he department. Said, <laughs> yeah, he said, phone the fire brigade. Yeah, Hang yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah. I'd say what I went, I went shopping to my local supermarket in Rome on Saturday morning and I had a little smile. I think it was before I heard the news about me, you know, and just thought of his impact. I got to the checkout and there's a huge display of chewing gum and it's got Zlatan's face on it. And this chewing gum is called Mind the Gum in English. And you read through it and it's uh, the way they market it is um, this gum claims to increase your memory and concentration using (laughs) new technology. And I thought, if Mino can get that gig for Zlatan, mind controlling (laughs) chewing gum, then I am all for it. Well done, Mino. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Do they have to back that one up at all or any truth in advertising claims? Are we just going full snake oil these days? It's a uh, nuova tecnologia, new technology. You can't, you can't, um, you can't, well, can't argue with that. With that. Yeah. yeah, no, sounds good. It stands up. It stands up to reason. Anyway, why don't we uh, talk about some soccer from the weekend? The big one from the Premier League. We should probably get to first, gents. Everton won, Chelsea nil. Frank Lampard used to big wins in Chelsea games. He got another one here, kind of. Uh, Richarlison with the vital goal in this one, as I mentioned in the intro. He threw a flare in the crowd straight afterwards. He's being investigated for that, uh, I believe, as we speak. That's uh, not going to end well for him. I mean, like, that. That- the last season this happened in Scotland with Lee Griffiths and he got a five-game ga- a ban and a massive fine. So, yeah, I, yeah, I suspect Richarlison might be out until the rest of the season, unfortunately for Everton, which is a disaster for them because he's very important. Supposedly, he threw it back into a section where there weren't fans. I don't know if that's true. That's what I saw written from the Everton perspective. But again, that's from the Everton perspective, so who knows if it's true. That did seem like it was maybe going to come back to haunt him, even if in the moment I understand it, because you're emotional, you've scored a goal, and also there's a flare on the field. You want it to not be on the field anymore, but maybe launching it back into the crowd slash stands <laughs> wasn't the best idea. Uh, Taylor, that sounds like in The Simpsons where Principal Skinner was trying to get directions away from this place uh, to, to leave it. Um, Everton's statement actually said, as far as we're concerned, Richarlison was temp- attempting to throw it out of the ground. There we go. So he was actually, they literally said with a straight face, they thought he was throwing oh it over the stands of Goodison Park. Uh, for the Rico, like for Napoleon Dynamite, he's going to throw Brazilian it over the Brazilian Tom Brady. Okay. Exactly. It's like a, a live grenade was on the floor and he had to clear it from the stadium to save everybody's life. I think it's how it's heroic. Is what it yeah, is. Yeah. It's heroic. <laughs> I've now got visions of uh, David Brent trying to throw his shoe over the pub roof. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me. Excellent. Well, uh, a good show from Everton, Joseph Lowry. Some drama on the relegation stakes here as well. Well, how did you see this one, Joe? Yeah, this one was a fun game because it was two really conflicting styles. And I think Everton put on a, a pretty good show for how to defend and compress space. 
and move laterally and frustrate Chelsea. So that's one part of this. Chelsea had the vast majority of the ball in this game. The second part is Jordan Pickford doing some ridiculous saves, making some ridiculous saves. He uh, he hits one with his face, which we alluded to earlier. He, he, he extends and dives to his left to save a shot from Azpilicueta in the 59th minute, which is already an impressive thing, but it's even more impressive when you factor in the, the reality that he had just dove to his right to attempt to save a Mason Mount shot that ended up hitting off the post. The ball then finds Azpilicueta on the opposite side of the goal. Pickford has to get up and somehow throw himself towards his left to make that save. And then he makes another big save in second half stoppage time on Kovacic in the 92nd minute. So Jordan Pickford was excellent in this game and Everton certainly don't win without him. And then the third bit is that relegation drama. Ryan, you mentioned it. The odds changed pretty dramatically from before this weekend to after this weekend. And this Everton result was a big part of that. So before the weekend, Everton had a 54% chance, according to 538, of getting relegated. Burnley had a 29% chance, Leeds had an 18% chance. Now after this weekend, Everton have a 34% chance. And and Burnley also put themselves in a really good spot. They're down to 21%. And Leeds have a 45% chance of getting relegated after they lose 4-0 to Manchester City. They have a pretty tough road ahead of them. Jesse Marsh and Leeds United. So I don't know how that's going to turn out. There's still plenty of time for things to change. At least four games for all of those clubs. Everton have a game in hand with five. But man, this result, I don't think we can say how massive this result was for Everton. They needed, they didn't need something from this game. But the fact that they got a bonus three points really is huge for them. Add that to the game in hand that they have over those other relegation threatened teams with that third spot. And Everton and Frank Lambert have to be feeling very, very good about themselves right now. Uh, Everton, as we record, uh, two points into the relegation zone, two points clear uh, uh, of safety, I should say, with a game in hand, however. And as you say, uh, uh, Leeds with a tricky run in as well, Joe. Taylor, I mentioned the atmosphere at Goodison Park earlier. And Jonathan Liu, he wrote a piece, uh, Jonathan Liu of The Guardian, who I seem to mention in every podcast now. He he is a fantastic writer, probably the best. Um, Earlier in the week, he wrote a piece about how Everton need their stadium and its fans to stay up, basically. At that point, they had three home games left. They've got two left now. And you could tell on the broadcast, Taylor, it was absolutely rocking in there. And you, we heard stories with fans the night before letting off fireworks mm-hmm. uh, outside the Chelsea Hotel. We had that moment in extra time, the in best. stoppage time, where, where the fan hit the ball under his shirt when Rhys James <laughs> was going to take a throw on. I mean, we can't really approve of that kind of thing, but maybe... Oh, no, I know. do. Oh, I absolutely okay. do. I mean, Excellent. I probably would have hated it if I, were, if I were a Chelsea fan, but in the moment, <laughs> it wasn't just that he hides it under his shirt. It's the rest of the crowd around him all doing the, the same fake, like, I don't know where it went, and hands up, like, where could it have gone? Like, everybody just fully pantomime villain play acting was terrific to me, and that is sort of what you need. I think it was really fascinating to watch a lot of these relegation-threatened teams and see that there aren't the familiar symptoms of a team that is resigned to going down. I would say maybe Watford, Norwich, there are. But with the teams that we're talking about now, with Everton, with Burnley, with Leeds, there seems to be an awareness from the fans that they have to help pick that team up, that it can't just be a mausoleum, it can't just be this like sad place as as we're threatened with relegation. And I think uh, Goodison and Everton fully responded this weekend and really helped pick up their team. And you could see that with the goal, you could see that in the stuff we've already talked about. But just even when they're pressing, when they're running, when they're tackling, there, there's there's huge cheers for Richarlison every time he tackles and tries to win a ball and gets into it physically. And that, as a player, has to elevate you, it has to pick you up, it has to give you that next level reserve to keep going and I think that made the difference uh, on the day for Everton 
They they really did set the tone. I genuinely believe that. It wasn't just in the stadium as well. There was uh, thousands possibly of fans outside Goodison Park to, to welcome the, the team bus in before kickoff. And I think what that says to the players is just... Look, we 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 demand a hundred percent commitment from you guys before uh, from the first whistle to the last because look at what everything we've done. We've made it seem like a big game, and there was a, a tension in a good kind of tension in Everton's performance from the the very start. And I honestly do believe the fans played an important role in that. What else played an important role, Graham? There was um, you know quite a, a high a high press from Everton. They were certainly putting pressure on when they won the goal. They pretty decent on the break what what were they doing here that they've kind of lacked the rest of the season yeah so I think Lampard we spoke about this after the, the Merseyside derby last week I think he he very much built on that performance against Liverpool where we spoke about some of the good things that they did and how they went a little bit more compact and and they were compact again again in this game the biggest difference was in terms of the formation where Lampard shifted to a back three with Mikalenko and Awobi used as the the wing backs and there, there was a difference there because against Liverpool, Lampard used Gordon and Damari Gray to help out the fullbacks and prevent Liverpool from finding any space out wide. But in this match, Everton were more, they were happier to let their uh, to, to let Chelsea have the, the ball in the wide areas. And what they did was they kind of congested the middle instead. So there were still some pressing triggers. And I did write about this after the game. Um, and Awobi and Gordon in particular were very quick to close down Alonso when he was, he was moving into that half space on, on the left. And so what that was doing was that was restricting him going forward and, and it was forcing him inside and that, that kind of played into to Everton's hands a little bit. But it, it very much felt like it was, even though it was a wingback system and we see with wingback systems a lot, the ideas to get width in those areas. For for Everton watching it, for me anyway, it was, it was almost designed to make everything congested in the middle because they realised that that's how Chelsea, whereas Liverpool do go out wide, Chelsea try and funnel things through the middle. And so Everton were putting as many players in that area as possible. And then Richarlison, who is, I said at the top of the show there, he is so important to this this Everton team. And he is the one player, I think, that kind of gives them some some genuine attacking threat. So as you said there, Ryan, the, the high press. I don't think it was uh, much of a a united high press. It didn't feel like the whole team. You know how you watch some teams at Liverpool and... It's say again. Man United high press, or you know. <laughs> no, no, it was somewhere in between. It felt like Gordon Gray and Richarlison were pressing as a trio, and then behind them was still staying very compact. But they were very effective, and Richarlison and him sit on his own is so effective at forcing mistakes from opposition players. And I almost feel like Richarlison has been typecast in the wrong way because if you ask a lot of neutral fans, they'll probably tell you that Richarlison is a diver and a bit of a prima donna. Whereas I think Everton fans will tell you that he is a bit of a warrior who gives everything for the, for the team and we said after the Merseyside derby in jest at the time but I think there is something in it you could see Richarlison playing for a team like Atletico Madrid and I think we saw that in this performance against Chelsea he is Everton are still very reliant on ball carrying players like Gordon and Gray and Richarlison I don't think there's much in the way of attacking patterns to their play but with those players and then a compact uh, team behind them I think that's a much better formula for Everton to get, to get out of trouble and that seems to be panning out in the last few weeks yeah Graham and from what I read that was an instruction from Lampard that he wanted to see Richarlison be more physical use his physicality a bit more and not be quite so maybe ponderous he wanted him to be physical and he wanted him to finish effectively and it seems like we saw both of those things I did wonder what that instruction would be of like hey 
uh, finish better. All right, good luck. Good stuff out there. But it seems like it worked because he got the goal, and it was really fun to watch him because he was just so clearly up for this one, had that battling spirit, and I think we'll need to have that battling spirit if Everton wants to stay up. Here's a statistic for you on Richarlison. I couldn't believe this when I read it. I had to double take and then check it, and it is, it is correct. Richarlison has scored more what's known as game state changing goals, which means basically that the goal matters to the end result of the match, so either a draw to a win or a defeat to a draw. He scored more goal, game state changing goals than any other Premier, Premier League player since the start of the 2016-17 season. Wow. 82% of his goals have mattered to the end result of a match. That's incredible. That's fascinating. That That's grim. That's really, really interesting. I'd be curious to look at the rest of that list. I've never heard a statistic described in that way, but I think that's a really nuanced way to do that analysis of Richarlison changing games. Now, part of me wonders if that's because Everton are, at least at times, being a bit more defensive, and so maybe the scorelines don't get quite as out of hand, but I, I don't know that for sure. That's That's cool. Graham, is that basically the statistical way of saying he's clutch? Because that's what it sounds yeah. like. It's basically, it's a very good statistical definition of, yeah, he's a clutch performer and he scores when it matters. Yeah, I say we call them clutch points. There that's we go. I'm going to call them from now on. <laughs> could, do you think you mentioned, I think you mentioned Atletico Madrid being like a, a, the kind of team he could play in, Graham. What about like mm-hmm. a Man City? I could see him working in a pep team. Um, in terms of how much ground he can cover on the, yeah. the, on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, I think he might need to be a little bit sharper in some of his, his uh, kind of technical ability. But Richarlison is a, is, is a brilliant player, and he's maybe one of the few, you know, Everton paid a lot of money for him, I think about £50 million, and he's one of the, the, the few investments that you would say they've maybe got right over the years. I think maybe every other player they've spent that sort of money on has been a bit of a flop. Yeah, they've not. Yeah, that, that's very fair to say, Graham. Um, Joe... With, on the Chelsea side of things, they completed 715 passes to Everton's 195. They had 77% of possession. They controlled much in midfield from what I could see. Um, are they are they on the beach at the moment? What's going on with them? Because it seems like maybe even after the, the, the Madrid games in the Champions League, their intensity has gone down. Something, something's different, isn't it? Yeah, this wasn't the best performance from Chelsea. I, I think they were still okay. But Jordan Pickford erased a lot of the good work they did. It wasn't, you know, a ton of really repeatable chance creation in this game, but they had chances, and I already outlined some of those earlier when talking about Jordan Pickford's magic in this game. So it was fine from Chelsea. It, it, it wasn't great. We saw some midfield changes at halftime. There were some nice rotations out wide on the right side with Azpilicueta and Reese James and sometimes Kai Havertz, but they they really did struggle on repeat to break through Everton. I don't know that that's necessarily indicative of anything major about this team, but this this team in general is going to be in the Champions League spots, most likely headed into next season, and I, I think we're going to get another season of Thomas Tuchel molding this team. I probably wouldn't read too much into this particular result. Uh, Taylor, I don't know if you saw um, Mr. Pulisic's father, Mark Pulisic, on Twitter in a now-deleted tweet saying, the sad thing is he loves this club, his teammates, and London, puts his heart and soul into being a pro. Onwards and upwards, my boy. Big six months ahead. Mm. I'm raising my Ancelotti's right now, Taylor. Um, but that is my segue <laughs> into asking you, why not let him play more? I mean, the front three, the, the, the Mount Havertz and Werner trio maybe could use a little bit of Pulisic now and then. Could lose some yeah. Lukaku as well, I suppose. 
I mean, that's the thing. Is like I'm sure like the Belgian podcasts are talking about this perspective when it comes to Lukaku. I'm sure there's ones uh, for Hakimi. I mean, I think it's just anytime you sign the number of players that they went out and signed when it came to strengthening their attack, you're going to have players who don't get minutes. I, and I think if I were Pulisic's father, I would be very frustrated because, you know, it's my kid. I want him doing good things. I, I But I understand the overall frustration of Pulisic does seem like he can be an impact player. It's just also sometimes he doesn't have the impact that's needed. And I think I get where the frustration is, but I also wouldn't say he has been that like next level of a player for them the way other players have. I don't think Timo Werner would be in that list, but I think Mason Mount has consistently shown why he deserves to be in that team. From my perspective, I'm sure Chelsea fans or American Chelsea fans might disagree. I think Pulisic has those moments where he comes in and does those big things, but I think it's tough when you're not that lights out that consistently and there are the injury things that it makes it hard maybe for Thomas Tuchel to fully back him and start him every single game. Uh, or maybe it's just because the other three do the things that Thomas Tuchel needs his team to do sort of on autopilot so he can focus elsewhere and then Pulisic can be that X factor. Maybe he moves on, maybe he stays. Either way, I think uh, it's not so bleak for Christian Pulisic, even if his dad is deleting tweets. <laughs> the, the, the strange thing here is that Tuchel picked 10 of the 11 players that started against that Man United on, on Thursday night. So keep in mind, Chelsea were playing on Thursday night. No one else was playing on Thursday night. Then have a game on Sunday and 10 of those 11 players start this game. And it's not as if Chelsea don't have options to rotate their team. They have one of the deepest squads in the Premier League. So I'm kind of questioning what does Tuchel feel he needs that he doesn't have. And I would kind of, he's never going to come out and just say, oh, well, I don't really rate Pulisic. I don't really rate Ziyech. I don't really like Lukaku. But that's the kind of candid opinion I actually want to hear Mm -hmm. from Tuchel because clearly he feels something isn't right with his squad. Pulisic is a man who drives a V8 Mustang around London and he loves America. He's basically my twin. I love him so much. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. At this I point. mean, I don't think he has the most, from everything I have like heard from him, like in, in terms of actually hearing him talk, but then also read about him. I don't think Pulisic is the most demonstrative figure. I don't think he's the biggest like locker room leader. And I'm no. not saying that as a shot. I'm saying he strikes me as just kind of a quieter guy who plays his game, but maybe isn't going to be the one to pick the whole team up. And maybe that's the mentality that Tuchel is looking for right now. He wants to see the spark. He wants to see the people who are up there, you know, clapping it up and and, uh, and bigging everybody up. And maybe that's just not Pulisic's game right now. Maybe that's not one of the things he's bringing to the to the table. And maybe that's where some of the, the sort of difference lies. Pulisic needs a hype man. There we he go. needs Luca Della Torre. That's what I've decided he needs. He needs Luca Della Torre <laughs> to be his bodyguard and hype man it's at Chelsea. Beautiful. It's beautiful. I, think that, I thought you were going to suggest Flavor Flav, and that would not have gone over well for me. <laughs> but yes, I like Luca Della Torre, the hype man. Let's do that. Or Carlo Ancelotti, coolest man in the world. Also that. Also that. <laughs> All right, well, maybe Chelsea, uh, we'll see. Maybe they're going to let their third place slip to Arsenal here. Um, Arsenal trading up their fourth place trophy this season. We shall see. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, the rest of the Premier League, the rest of Europe, we're going to get to MLS as well. Plenty more coming up after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's go through the rest of the Premier League games from the weekend. Newcastle nil, Liverpool one. Still only one point separates the top teams here. Newcastle, Graham, did pretty well here. They had a nice high press going on and forced a few mistakes, did they not, against a Liverpool side with five changes? Yeah, I have to say I was I was most impressed with Liverpool, not just because they won the game, obviously, here, but Klopp makes, as you say, a number of changes to his team with the second leg against Villarreal in mind this week. And the most impressive thing about Liverpool is they still manage to produce the same sort of performance. There's not a great deal of, of drop-off when they do rotate their team. This was a diff- this could have been a difficult game for them. Liverpool had won, sorry, Newcastle had won four in a row. They they didn't really create many opportunities though, Newcastle. They were in the game, they were competitive, but I can't really think of an opportunity where they really could have could have scored. Whereas Liverpool, they have a bench of Thiago, Salah, Fabinho, Konate, Alexander-Arnold, uh, Simicas, and they're still able to win away from home against an informed team. I think St. James's Park has become one of the, the more difficult away venues as well since the takeover. There's a lot of colour going on there. It's a good atmosphere now. So very impressive from Liverpool. And um, yeah, sandwiched in between two Champions League semi-finals. So... I, I found the way that they controlled this match pretty impressive. A lot of colour going on there in the stadium where everyone wears black and white shirts, Graham. <laughs> it was a figure of speech, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Very good. I'm going to call that the least entertaining Liverpool game I've watched in a while. Do you agree? Possibly, yeah. But I, I do. I'm going to use that word control again. I never really felt like they were in much danger. And when you're in a title race, as I, and as I say, there's two, sandwiched in between two Champions League semi-finals. Then that's a, a pretty good place to be, I'd say. Indeed, uh, not a good place to be. Ellen Road leads nil. Man City four. Uh, City had to win this one, obviously, after Liverpool's victory early in the day. They did so emphatically in their terrible, terrible third choice kits. <laughs> uh, Guardiola leaving De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, and Riyad Mahrez on the bench for this one. Uh, for Fernandinho, got a great goal. His fourth, the fourth goal and this was a lovely goal from range if you haven't seen it listener but uh, Taylor Rockwell leads in trouble here aren't they right above the relegation zone as we mentioned two points above Everton uh, who do have a game in hand as well Stuart Dallas breaking his leg in this yeah. game as well so suboptimal all around for Leeds Taylor Breaking his femur, man that's got to hurt because that is not easy to do and hopefully is not a Sort of metaphor for this Leeds season. I think when we talked about relegation last week, I, I maybe I just bought into the hype, or maybe I was just really excited about Jesse Marsh. But I don't really think I put Leeds in this category. And now looking at it, they feel like they might be the most likely to go down, and I don't like that. But given their injuries, especially to Stuart Dallas, as you mentioned, given the games they've got remaining uh, after Man City, they've got Arsenal, they've got Chelsea, they've got Brighton. Not the easiest schedule there, and I think compounded by other teams picking up points, especially Everton uh, against Chelsea, that maybe wasn't as expected. So I think it requires Leeds to get at least a point against Arsenal or Chelsea. Maybe, uh, if not a point against Arsenal, then maybe a win versus Chelsea or vice versa. But I think they've got to do something here, because it's so much of relegation battles are about momentum. I think that's why we're seeing the supporters pick their clubs up because they know this is kind of the time to make it happen. This is the time to be the disruptors, to set off fireworks outside the Chelsea Hotel. But I think if you lose three straight games as you're in a relegation battle, even if they're against 
uh, teams like Man City, Arsenal, and Chelsea, I think it's a demoralizing thing, and they might still pick up points at the end of the season, but by then it could be too late. So I think they've got to make some moves here, and hopefully they have the depth and fitness to be able to do so. We shall see. The, the thing about Leeds is they're not even in bad form. If you yeah. look at their results, that defeat to City, which, by the way, I think was pretty harsh. I don't think 4-0 reflected the game. In fact, Guardiola was pretty unhappy with how Leeds were controlling large portions of that match. But that was their first defeat in six games. Right. And it just feels like they have been caught cold by the teams around them, in particular Burnley, who all of a sudden are in title-winning form, it seems, and now Everton appear to have turned a little bit of a corner. So it's just the other teams around them are doing better, and I think the relegation battle in the Premier League is the most interesting thing about that division at the moment. I know we have a title race between Liverpool and City, but we've seen that before, and it just kind of feels like they're going to win every single game between now and the end of the season. But you have Leeds and Everton, who are big, big clubs, embroiled in a relegation battle where it doesn't really feel like anyone's sinking like a stone if anything they're fighting for their lives down there I'm finding it really interesting it's the thing when it comes to the weekend now in the Premier League this is the thing I'm now looking to first okay Jesse Marsh quote Graham uh, Leeds clash with Man City is the world's best team against the world's best club all right, Jesse. Settle down. <laughs> all right, calm it down, please. We all know that's Good propaganda, FC. though. Come on now. <laughs> exactly, Joe. Thank you very much. Joe. Uh, Joe. Go, don't do that. Taylor, don't, Ryan, don't do Ryan's the one hosting. I gotta, I gotta do it. I gotta need do a it. pick me up. It'll be you tomorrow. I, need, Taylor, I really worry. needed that, Joe. Thank Fine. you. Um, let's talk about relegation once again, though. Yay, Norwich relegated once again this weekend. Aston Villa 2, Norwich nil. Their third successive immediate relegation from the Premier League. Norwich have had the fewest shots, 336. The fewest shots on target, 100. And the lowest shot conversion rate, 7% of all Premier League sides this season. So perhaps no surprises there. Uh, Watford won Burnley 2. Burnley scored twice in the final seven minutes to complete a pretty dramatic comeback that pulled them five points clear. <laughs> of the relegation zone and the result which also relegated the aforementioned uh, Norwich. Uh, Graham, Watford's 11th consecutive home defeat here. They are 12 points drift with four games to go. Seems like their relegation will be confirmed very soon as well. But how about them Burnleys? I I can't quite believe what's happening. Um, they've, they've taken 10 points from 12 since sacking Sean Dyche and I completely misjudged this one. I thought the decision to get rid of Dice was a foolish one. I thought it was pretty much Burnley waving the the white flag uh, in in terms of their relegation fate. And I think they have more attacking quality than I realised because since Mike Jackson has come in, they have they, he's tried to harness that a little bit more. Um, I think Dwight McNeil, he hasn't actually scored or assisted in this run that they're on, but I think Dwight McNeil is evidence of that change in, in Burnley. He's been brilliant in the last four games. Burnley are getting more players forward. They're making better use of the winger of the wings. They're getting two players up in attack rather than just one with Veghorst kind of proving his worth. Thought he would be a good signing in January and that seems to be the, uh, turning out to be the case now. Uh, Josh Brownhill, very good against Watford. He's, he's getting forward a bit more, uh, carrying a bit more of a goal threat. So yeah, I didn't see this coming at all. I thought Burnley were pretty much dead and buried. In fact, I think I said a few weeks ago that the three that were in the bottom three were the ones that were going down and now it feels like Burnley are going to be safe, which is a, is a plot twist. Indeed it is. Um, by the way, listener, um, Jake Humphreys has a podcast called High Performance where he interviews like high-performing um, people in their respective fields. Uh, uh, over the weekend, I listened to the Sean Dyche episode and if you had painted him as a caricature who eats worms and doesn't wear jackets, um, then I would suggest you give that a listen because he came across very, very well in that, very professional. and He eats eels. 
Yeah, <laughs> and uh, lots and lots of insight, uh, worms, eels, or otherwise, from Sean Dutch on. Right, what were you, were you expecting him to just be like eating worms on mic? What was the expectation? Oh, they're so good. Like, <laughs> yeah, like a Roald Dahl character. I was yeah, expecting right? him slouch back in his seat, chewing on worms, going yeah, four, four, two, whatever, lap it up. <laughs> but no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. So I'm very impressed. Um, West Ham one, three, five, two, whatever. That was that was the big difference. <laughs> Precisely. Worth a listen. There are other podcasts out there, I am told. Uh, West Ham 1, Arsenal 2. Mikel Arteta said it was a sign of a big team to be able to win ugly, which is evidently what they did here at the Hammer Bowl. Graham, was this one of the 17 games you watched this weekend? It was, yeah. I, I was potentially writing about this game. I didn't in the end. I went for Everton Chelsea, but I did watch this game. A very important one for Arsenal uh, because it feels like they could have cracked in this situation, might have done in previous season against a good team at a difficult away stadium. But they get the, the, the opening goal against the run of play. Um, Jared Bowen, who does brilliantly to equalise, it's sort of an improvised finish from in, uh, inside the box just before half time. Gabriel scores the winner from a set piece. That felt strange given that West Ham are usually so good from set pieces, both in an attacking and a defensive sense, but both Arsenal goals coming from set pieces in this game. As for West Ham, I think they now know that their their chance of qualifying for the Champions League is through the Europa League. I would be pretty comfortable discounting them from top four contention in, in the Premier League, and they have a huge match coming up against Eintracht Frankfurt this week. So it kind of felt like once they got halfway through the second half, their, their eyes started to turn towards that game a little bit. Good stuff, Graham. By the way, listener, a peek behind the curtains. We counted up, I think Graham watched nine or ten actual games this weekend, and he just told us he also watched two Bond films. I and three Ozark episodes. Where are you inventing <laughs> these hours? Where are they coming from, Graham? Do you sleep? <laughs> no, that's actually the answer. No, I don't get enough sleep. Goodness me. Well, I'm sure uh, Antonio Conte's players are getting plenty of sleep in their regimen. Tottenham 3, Leicester 1. Harry Kane and uh, Sonny getting a brace there. And Hyomin Son's first goal was the aforementioned outrageous curling effort. Well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Um, Antonio Conte, Taylor, honking his own horn in the post-match interview. No one could have imagined when I arrived in November we could be in this race still. But here we are. Good, Good job, Antonio. I mean, you know, you, you got to pick yourself up, but he has picked up this Spurs team, and I think the acquisition of Kulishevsky has been obviously very important. He gets two assists in this one and is just such an electric uh, player for Tottenham. Obviously, Son and Harry Kane continue to do the things that we expect of them, but Son, both of his finishes, I thought, really, really impressive. Obviously, the second one, uh, a bit more so, but, but the first for the way he swivels and then still is able to put it back across goal, but receives it un- under pressure. I thought that was all very good. And then even just the intensity of the overall Spurs team. Christian Romero, I think for the second goal, Son's first, uh, he wins a tackle, like a standing tackle, but wins it pretty hard. And then the ball pops loose and then he goes in and wins a sliding tackle. And that's what launches that move that leads to the goal. So I think you've got a lot of energy on the defensive side and then you've certainly got a lot of talent and ability on the attacking side. And I guess all that equals Antonio Conte uh, being a genius to Antonio Conte. That that sliding tackle you mentioned there, Taylor, it was one of those ones where I went, ooh, when I yep. saw it. And then I was like, ooh, that was actually really good. Yep. <laughs> There's always that moment of like, ooh, red card or really good tackle. And yeah. then you got to watch a couple replays <laughs> to figure out which one it's going to be. Exactly. I am a man where I sit down and I go, ooh, make that noise when I sit down now. Yep. And I go, ooh, when I see tackles. That's yep. what I am now. That's my life. Goodness. Uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Uh, let's turn our attention quickly to Serie A. The title race remains exciting there. Milan won Fiorentina nil uh, in Milan. Uh, Milan are two points clear with three games to go now. A late goalkeeping error, Graham, uh, helping Rafael Leal to make the difference in this one. But Milan didn't have a shot on target in the first half. 
Yeah, and for a, a lot of this match, it felt like maybe the goal wasn't going to come. This is an AC Milan team that don't score many goals. They are built on a, a strong defence. That's the thing that has kind of put them in the position that they are in at the top of Serie A at the moment. But as you say, a goalkeeping error and Rafael Leao kind of sticking with it and at least having the effort gets them the crucial goal here. They are now, as you say, two points clear. And this, this felt like one of the biggest wins of AC Milan's entire season because Inter are playing later in the evening and they get the three points there. So had AC Milan not um, won against Fiorentina, who are a decent team, then it could have been a, a pretty pivotal weekend in the Serie A title race. As it is, that goes uh, kind of one more match round uh, later in the season and uh, it's still all to play for. We go again and Inter Milan did play later in the evening. They got a 2 on win at Udinese, keeping that pressure on G. Yeah, and this was, this was nervy. This was almost as nervy as the AC Milan-Fiorentina game. Uh, Ivan Perisic, he gets uh, the opening goal, a brilliant header from a DeMarco corner. That gets them up and running. Then Lataro Martinez made it 2-0 later. I didn't realise Martinez has 17 league goals this season. That is a better return than I actually thought he had. Uh, Udinese, they, they get one back uh, in the second half. And, and they did press for an equaliser. And it kind of felt like maybe that equaliser was going to come, but Inter hold on. And it just feels like it's been an incredible season in Italy. Twists and turns all over the place. It kind of feels like all the teams involved, which at this stage is probably just AC Milan and Inter, but keep in mind that Napoli have been involved in this and Juventus for a period as well have been involved in this. And it's every single game has felt like every team is capable of dropping points. And that's just added to the excitement. Indeed. Uh, Roma having a goalless uh, draw with Bologna late on Saturday, or Sunday evening, excuse me, uh, which confirmed the Champions League spots in Italy, one of which is going to Napoli, who had a quiet one, Graham, a 6-1 win. <laughs> over Sassuolo and particularly impressive because Sassuolo have earned themselves a re reputation this season for being giant killers and Napoli haven't done so well at, at home in particular against high quality teams this season but this was a, ve a very special way for them to hit back after a three game winless run as you say they are now um, confirmed as being in the Champions League next season the title race I think is all but over for them but Champions League qualification they probably would have taken that at the start of the season and it gives them a platform to build on as long as they can keep Victor Asiman. It feels like there's a lot of speculation around him at the moment and if they can keep hold of him, that, that's that's a big objective for them this summer. Indeed. Uh, Juventus also getting Champions League soccer, Graham, with a 2-1 win over the Venice fashion brand, a brace from Leonardo <laughs> Benucci in this one. Uh, the fashion brand are bottom of Serie A. They fired their coach midweek. But hey, nice kits. I mean, that's what matters. Yeah. And I mean that sincerely. That is what matters, <laughs> as, as the kits. I did enjoy Bonucci scoring twice in this game. He doesn't score many goals, and it feels like maybe that Bonucci-Chiellini partnership is going to get broken up in the summer. I have read that Chiellini could be on his way to MLS, so does Charlotte FC sound like a good destination for him, Ryan? No. Maybe? No. No. No? No, 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 no. 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 Why would you say that? Anyway. Please, oh, please, Charlotte, make it happen. Please, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Ryan, yes. genuinely, what happens if that happens? You explode? I don't, like, what are the rules there? You know Ryan, Joe. He will, he'll sell out so hard. He'll be like, oh, Chiellini's the best. I've always loved him. It's fine. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. We'll have to find out. I'm a man of principle until money's involved, Joe. There it is. <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Um, La Liga. La Liga, Taylor Rockwell, uh, yes, has sir. been won by Real Madrid, their 35th league title. They won it in style with a 4-0 uh, win over Espanyol at home. They've won it with four games to spare. Um, Ancelotti, the first manager to win titles in all five top leagues and Marcelo's 24th piece of silverware with Real Madrid he is the winningest player in their history I just said winningest 
He is. You know, Ryan, I got to back this up. I want to talk about Madrid for a second, but I, I don't, I don't actually think you would support Chiellini at Charlotte. I've thought more about this. I feel no, like I the, the, the MK Don's, uh, uh, Wimbledon thing has, has maybe made me rethink. And I feel like you would hold that grudge for a little bit longer than I may be saying. So, mm-hmm. uh, with that said, uh, you would not hold a grudge against Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid. Certainly not against Carlo Ancelotti because how can you? That photo of him <laughs> celebrating with the cigar is maybe the so suavest good. photo I've ever seen. And I can only hope that I, I'm like a quarter as cool as him when I'm that age. Or even now, just generally, I want to be a quarter as cool as Carlo Ancelotti because, man, that guy is doing some things, including getting a Madrid team that maybe we all thought wasn't as good to win the title in pretty uh, triumphant and emphatic fashion. Indeed. Yeah, that picture, listener, you, n- you need to seek it out. It was on Vinicius Jr.'s IG feed. The cigar, the open shirt, the perfect hair. Oh, he's the glasses. He, oh, everything, everything, Graham. It's incredible. Um, Barcelona got a win on, was it Sunday night? Yes, to Barcelona yes. 2, Mallorca 1. Uh, they moved into second place over Sevilla with this one. Memphis and Sergio Busquets getting the goals. Their first home win in four games, Graham. Yeah, and, and this was the result that probably all but secures a top four place for them. That was Things were getting a little bit nervy there for them. They had lost three games uh, at home in a row. Obviously, one of those was in the Europa League to Antwerp Frankfurt. And Xavi held a bond-building barbecue at La Masia during the week, which is a bit of a tradition for Barcelona. When things aren't going so well, they crack open the meats and the vinaigrette salads. And on this showing, it, it worked. Uh, Memphis Depay starts off the off the left wing. He scores a, a, a really good opener before Busquets sweeps home a, a second as well. Real Mallorca, they claw one back. And they did cause Barcelona some problems in behind. PK picks up an injury, so that's a bit of a concern for Barcelona as well. But it kind of feels like Barcelona have some room to breathe now. It's, it's going to be about building for next season. There's going to be a lot of speculation over the next few weeks about Frankie de Jong's future and is Lewandowski signing and what's Usman Dembele doing so it's, it's going to be an interesting summer for Barca. Graham do you know what happens when Daniel Craig uh, does some some cooking in his backyard while also building a new shed? Uh, that is no, also but- a bond building barbecue. Right oh so very Boo. good. Very good. <laughs> Deserved booze. Deserved booze. Yeah, Joe said it better than me. I was just being polite. <laughs> you notice I didn't boo Taylor because I wish I'd thought of that, frankly. Um, elsewhere in the derby of um, only one of us is going to be told how to spell our names by General Franco. Athletic Club 2, Atletico Madrid 0, Graham. <laughs> yeah, I'm still reeling from that from that uh, introduction. Oh, wow. Ryan. That might be, that might be your best. Oh that was God. funny. Anyway, Ooh. moving on from fascism, <laughs> yeah. uh, this, wow. this was a, another underwhelming performance by Atletico Madrid, who they definitely deserve to to lo- lose this match. They offered very little, poor at the back, as demonstrated by the defending from Jimenez for the opening goal, where he kind of gets shrugged aside, and then Anaki Williams cross. I think it's a cross, kind of get deflect gets deflected into the into the back of the net. Suarez is handed the start by uh, by Simeone. He was almost anonymous in this game, as was Griezmann. Just no exchange play between the two, and it used to be the case that when you would get Suarez on the pitch to be a bit of a poacher but that only works if you create chances and Atleti are just not really creating much at the moment and I honestly bold statement alert here I honestly think Suarez might be finished at this sort of level he just doesn't have the the physicality anymore there were strangely despite the fact he was so successful last season there were these questions last season where about his physicality and whether he could last 90 minutes and it really just feels like he's kind of tipped over the edge now and I, I don't think he can play at this level for much longer so I think he could be on his way out of Atleti this season uh, maybe he's the one that's going to end up at Charlotte FC Ryan 
Goodness me, that's okay. All right, let's let's end this segment, but not before we uh, uh, get to the Bundesliga very quickly, where the top two teams both uh, had defeats. Mainz three by Munich one. Um, Mainz also hit the woodwork four times in that game, and they had only thirty one percent possession, but uh, winning three goals to one in that one. Yikes! Uh, Post title win, of course, for Bayern and Borussia Dortmund three, VfL Bochum four. A home loss, uh, despite scoring three goals for Borussia Dortmund here. Erling Haaland getting a hat trick on the day. He's a four mentioned agent Mina Riola sadly passed away um, Dortmund losing to an 85th minute penalty we have got MLS to talk about right after this break we'll be back very shortly this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Major League Soccer time. Uh, why don't we talk about, we'll call it the big game of the weekend. It was certainly a big game for the hosts in Nashville 1, Philadelphia Union 1. Um, Phillies Michael Uri, Mikhail Uri, excuse me, uh, getting the first goal ever at the brand new stadium, the 30,000 seater stadium in Nashville, the largest soccer specific stadium in the land at a cost of $335 million, which sounds kind of cheap for a stadium, but what do I know about building stadiums? Uh, I know that I can't wait to visit this stadium, Graham, because it looks just fantastic. Looks like a sort of classic European stadium, four stands, you know, um, no messing around here, no bowl, no, no dome going on here um not not, dome's not the right word i don't know what i'm talking about it looks cool (laughs) graham yeah i to be perfectly honest i have uh conflicting thoughts about this one yes it's great there's another soccer specific stadium in mls and it does it does look good i i like how steep it is i think is one of the best Mm. the best features about it yeah i think it's 150 meters does that sound about right 150 meters from the pitch to the back row of the stand which is fantastic and that's one of the first things that I look for in a a stadium but in terms of the kind of design of the stadium there are some weird things about it the first thing is multicolored seats again not a fan if you're if you're that worried about uh, masking empty seats like have cheaper tickets or a smaller (laughs) stadium or something secondly that really weird corner section which I have since learned is bar tables for eating and drinking I have a lot of a, que- a lot of questions about that, but I, I don't really have an issue with having hospitality sections because I know that it's in every stadium and, and I know LAFC, for instance, have a, have a swimming pool in their stadium, but I don't like it being in prime stadium real estate for fans. And that section at Nashville is like right down to the pitch yeah. in one of the corners. That's one of the best places to sit in the whole stadium. 
Um, so yeah, that that kind of puts me off a little uh-huh. bit. But don't get me wrong; it's it's not it's not DC United Stadium. But I still I still think it is slightly below kind of Allianz Field. I think is the best stadium in, in MLS or Red Bull Arena or Bank of California. I'd put it slightly below there, but still a, <laughs> still a very good venue. That if a Major League Soccer head office is listening, I would very much like to visit one day. Yeah, Graham loves that stadium. Everybody, Graham Graham yeah. Graham absolutely yeah. loves it. The Graham, love one was- thing. Sorry, go, go, no, okay. I was just going to say the one thing, those silver, it's, it's the corner section that people can stand and eat and drink or whatever it is, Graham. And it, it definitely sticks out like a sore thumb in that corner. I, I love the stadium. I think it's beautiful. I don't mind the different colored seats. Uh, the, the, my one, Greg, but that is the camera angle, but that's not something that people really care about except me, so that's okay. The, the, the thing with those corner seats that are, it's just silver and it stands out in yeah. a really weird way. Just stick like some Nashville branding, like like paint those blue and yellow, and I think you've solved it from a visual perspective. It doesn't solve what Graham's talking about about how maybe those seats shouldn't be used for that purpose. I don't care about that a whole lot, so it, I think just fix the aesthetic on the outside there, and you're good to go. Just go to a restaurant or a bar. Oh, I don't uh, get l- it. Listener, I don't understand. Um, on Twitter, uh, while this game was going on, Graham was pouring scorn. He was launching his anti-Stocker Stadium food torpedo at this uh, section of the stadium. And I think one of the replies to your tweet to, to that effect, Graham, was um, when you said, why is there a food and drink section in the stadium? Someone said, because we like sunshine and fun. And they kind of had you. That's, yeah, but this is this yeah. this is the thing though. Sorry, Taylor, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here because <laughs> I don't fine. I don't go to a football stadium to have fun. <laughs> That's not where you go to have fun. It's an ordeal going oh to watch God. a football game. Ooh. Where do you go to have fun, Graham? Uh, a dark room. I don't I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so in front of his five different screens at once, Graham. Uh, well, to your point about it, like not like being a place for fun if a result doesn't go their way let's say they make CONCACAF Champions League and then they get CONCACAF and everyone's really mad my question becomes for the people sitting in the corner flag when there's an opposition player taking that corner is it the full beer that's going to be the projectile they hurl <laughs> or the like the the tray of food slash plate used like a frisbee that will be thrown at the player that's what I kept wondering <laughs> or, throughout the game or the food itself yeah or that. Know, I can imagine like player <laughs> fans tactically buying their food depending on what yeah, the right? best projectile is I can buy these wing i can buy these wings and i can get five different projectiles or i can get this hot dog and have just the one if i can hit hector herrera's eye from here with a piece of hot chicken what kind of damage will that do those are the questions those people are going to be asking i think the big mistake they made was making the nacho platter itself a catapult so like the body of it is the (laughs) chips the catapult launcher is the nacho dip that could be a problem i feel like that could be a problem down the line we'll see what happens Uh, by the way um there is a big bone of contention i think i might mention this before at charlotte fc with fans when a goal goes in at bank of america stadium um throwing their beers up in the air um and they do that in the supporters section um quite a lot and uh I'm not sure what the club has responded to it with, but I think they're probably thinking, those beers are $12. Have at it. So, um, Lids. <laughs> I would suggest lids, lids for the beers. And a straw. Yeah, you're quite right, Graham. <laughs> um, but it, it looked like a really, it sounded also like a really excellent yeah. atmosphere in Nashville for this one. They yep. had the front man from Styx doing the traditional pre-game guitar riff, which uh, sounded pretty awesome. That was good. Styx, uh, the rock band from Checks Notes Chicago. Excellent. Um, Joe, could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about the game as well? Wow, yes, I can. Uh, this this was a 1-1 one, one draw, as we said. It was. <laughs> it had a nice start to it with multiple shots from Nashville hitting off the woodwork. You could tell how on edge the crowd was just wanting a goal so badly, and it's a bit of a shame for them that it was Philly who got the first goal in this game. But I thought it had an entertaining 
tactical underlying tone to this game because Philly didn't come out and press super aggressively, which has been their MO for lots of this season. They, they kind of sat in their own half or just ahead of their own half in, in more of a 4-4-2 diamond or a 4-3-3 shape with Daniel Gazdog tucking in between the, the two strikers. And they just kind of let Nashville have the ball. And Nashville didn't create a, a ton of really clear-cut chances in the first 30 minutes, but they did have that set piece that Alex Mule gets the shot on. It's in the 23rd minute. Alex Mule shoots it, and Andre Blake makes this like miracle save. He makes an Andre Blake save, and Andre Blake is a huge part of what makes Philly so good and what made this game so entertaining. He was on his game, and it took a penalty to beat him late in this match. So you had Nashville controlling possession but not creating a ton, but they did create on set pieces. Jim Curtin talks about a halftime about how they're surviving and how they wanted to send Nashville around them, not through them. And I think generally they did a good job of that in this game. Philly wrestled back some control with maybe 15 minutes left in the first half. And I think they kept that control into the second half. They get a goal after a, a bit of sloppy play from Nashville. Daniel Gazdog plays Mikel Ura in into the attacking half. He gets the ball on his right foot and scores. And that's the first goal at Geodis Park. It is a nice goal from Ura. And then Nashville need a goal of their own. And they, they do finally get one from a Randall Leal penalty. Maybe there should have been another one on a Corey Burke handball. I, I don't. I thought I knew the handball rule. And then stuff like this happens. And I feel like I don't know the handball rule. It hit Corey Burke's right elbow. It looked to me like the elbow was away from his body. It looked to me like a penalty. It wasn't. Nashville seemed okay with that, relatively speaking. This thing ended as a 1-1 draw. Still a good game for Nashville. It does make me wonder when they are given more possession, which is not something they've been getting on their A-game road trip, when, they, when they're given more possession at home, are they dangerous enough to break teams down? Right now, I think the answer is pretty clearly no. But Philly are a much better defensive team than most teams in MLS, so who knows? But overall, enjoyable game, incredible atmosphere. The the volume of the fans, Ryan, I think you mentioned that, Mm. was incredible and made this game even more entertaining. Joe, I just want to echo what you said. I'm very confused by that Corey Burke handball not being given, especially because, and this is maybe a minor thing, but it's what stood out to me, is that the official stops the play to go and have a look at VAR, but he stops like a live play. They have to do a drop ball when he doesn't end up giving the penalty. But to me, that meant that the VAR official has to have said, hey, it's a definite penalty. You need to go and have a look. Why else would you not let the ball go out of bounds before going into and reviewing that play? So that he then ends up giving a drop ball, no handball, when the replays show pretty clearly, it hits the elbow. Maybe there's a slight flick, but even there, I don't think it's enough that it really threw anything off. So I, I found that one really odd, and I almost wanted to come away from it thinking, and he was just like, I'm not going to be bowed to the home crowd and accused of bias or something. I, it really did not make sense to me. Uh, and yeah, handball, confusing. Who knows? Taylor, who are, who are we to understand the laws of the game? It's not like we talk about this professionally no. no it's not our it's not our job there is but. there is that argument though that like it they don't want us to clearly know the rules because then <laughs> then it's always open to interpretation and confusion that sounds like a matt letizia thing to say taylor <laughs> don't you dare <laughs> we'll move on from that very swiftly how dare you i know i apologize for that one uh joe would you care to take us around mls corner and take us around the league before we say goodbye to listener um we had another texas derby this weekend for example houston won austin two there austin top of the west until lafc played on sunday night they beat uh, minnesota 2-0 at bank of california stadium where i'm still reeling from the fact that i paid 50 dollars to park there a couple of weeks ago <laughs> oh my god story there joe that maybe wasn't a good thing for you to do. I don't know. Uh, that that first game you mentioned of the weekend, Ryan, Austin 2, Houston 1, that involved a 62-yard goal from Sebastian Ferreira, I believe, that caught Brad Stuver out. It was not Brad Stuver's fault. I think it was Danny Pereira's fault. 
giving him a, a poor back pass there. But a ridiculous goal from Houston that Brad Stuver had to be stretchered off afterwards after trying to, to dive and, and make a play on that ball. That game was pretty bonkers. There's a few other notable storylines, I think, from around the league. Uh, Alejandro Pozuelo in Toronto FC's 2-1 loss to FC Cincinnati at home. Late on in this game, uh, the ref blows the whistle and, and stops the play, and Pozuelo isn't happy about that. And he turns towards the sideline and kicks the ball what looks like as hard as he can. Like, I don't know if anyone out there remembers Kaku doing for the Red Bulls and actually hitting the ball into the stands and getting oh, in yeah, real trouble for yeah. that. Pozuelo does that, but he is so lucky that the ball hits the ad boards. Jeff Reuter was tweeting about this, and he was totally right. He's really lucky that the ball hits the ad boards and doesn't actually hurt someone, like really hurt someone in the stands. That was a big moment from this weekend that I haven't heard many people talk about. That was weird. Then uh, in, in the Western Conference uh, across the country, you have Jossie Zardes getting his first start with the Colorado Rapids in a 2-0 win over Portland. Some fun tactical things from Robin Frazier. Zardes wasn't involved all that much playing as a, a lone striker. Didn't do a ton, had one shot and a few notable passes, but certainly something to monitor. I don't think we've mentioned that trade yet on this show. Jossie Zardes is now a member of the Colorado Rapids after getting traded from the Columbus crew. That happened. Matt Turner got in goal for the Revs for the first time this season in a 2-0 win over Inter-Miami. And then got married the next day. So pretty good couple days for Matt Turner, who is giving uh, giving the Revs just a, a couple of months before he goes off to play for Arsenal. Um, and then Joe, the last, um, yeah, Ryan, go ahead. Matt Turner at his wedding. Do we know if he did any dancing to simply the best by his maternal grandmother Tina at that wedding? I I don't think so, but I'm still waiting on my inside sources from the Matt he, Turner wedding. Thank you. He didn't do any dancing. He's got frostbite. <laughs> Yeah, he only has one working foot. That's where Matt Turner's at right now. <laughs> the last the last MLS thing that I wanted to mention is Atlanta. They finally get their two-star attackers starting together in Diago Almada and Luis Araujo. And they looked pretty poor, at least in the final third. They're, they're a really dangerous team in the open field. They're dangerous getting the ball forward into the final third. But Montreal, who struggled a ton in this game to keep the ball in the way that Wilfred Nance wants them to, especially at home, we're giving them opportunities to, to possess in the final third, and Atlanta just couldn't take advantage of it. Way too many long shots. They looked undisciplined. They didn't look dangerous, and they should be dangerous with the amount of quality and money they have out there on the field. Credit to Kamal Miller for doing some damage, and credit to Montreal for getting that home win over an, over an Atlanta team that has a ton of promise but still has even more things to figure out. You hate to see it from the second best team on I-85 there, Joe. Thank you very much. Um, quick look at any other business. Um, NWSL action, Joe. Yeah, the regular season kicked off this weekend, actually on Friday night. Angel City, one of the two expansion teams along with San Diego this year, they beat the North Carolina Courage 2-1 at home at Bank of California Stadium in the sellout. Like 22,000 people there. What a game. The roar when the first goal was scored early on in the match was incredible. This was on CBS Sports Network. This was a, a real big game, and the atmosphere matched that, and I think it's a great step for NWSL. Think how much they made from that $50 parking. Yeah, that's all I can think. <laughs> incredible, incredible. Uh, what else was incredible? Uh, Trabzonspor winning their first title in Turkey for 38 years with a 2-2 home draw against Antalya Spor. Uh, Taylor, apologize if I've uh, pronounced any of that incorrectly. You but Taylor, buddy. did you see the celebrations in Trabzon um, afterwards? Like an yeah. outdoor rave? I think You can was? see them from space, yeah. Ryan. Yes, I saw the, <laughs> the celebrations from Trabzon. Man, those were wild. Especially... There was like a dystopian future vibe to it. The guys who were on those yeah. like big cylindrical pillars that were directing the crowd, it felt very Mad Max at times, but it was awesome. I enjoyed the video of the Trabzon, Trabzonspor fans dumping 
empty coffins with the colors of Beshiktas, Fenerbahce, and Galatasaray <laughs> into the Black Sea. Lots of celebrations in uh, eastern Turkey this weekend. And credit to Trabzon for, for getting the title, for making it happen, and for rewarding their fans with a massive outdoor party, the likes of which maybe football fans have never seen before. Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe we'll get one at Goodison Park in a couple of weeks, just like that. Mayhaps. We'll see, Taylor. Um, finally, 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 Graham Rutherford, uh, the old firm. We had the fifth going on 50th one of the season uh, <laughs> uh, over the weekend. Both teams have won two. This one was a draw, one all at Parkhead. Yeah, and this is the third old firm in the last five weeks, so I don't even have anything to kind of hit back with. There has been a lot of these games recently, but uh, with this result, Celtic have essentially clinched the the title. They're, they're six points clear with three games to go. It looked like they were going to get the win that would have put them even further ahead, but Rangers, not for the first time this season, they got better as Celtic faded. That's going to be one of the things Celtic next season, they're going to need to improve in that regard, particularly if they're in the, in the Champions League. They often hit a brick wall in big games around about 60, 70 minutes because they are playing such a sort of high intensity game. So I think um, Celtic still have a ways to go and they can improve further under Postacoglu and that's going to be tested next season in the in the Champions League. It's been quite a, a turnaround for them this season, uh, more successful than I think anyone anticipated it would be because they were in disarray this time last year. Indeed. Tell you what, gents, we have weekend reviewed. We've done it. Thank you very much, Graham Rutherford. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you return to your dark room shortly. <laughs> I, I will. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I mean, you're assuming that I am out of the dark room now. I'm. I'm this that's is where true. I record. I assume that you leave sometimes, and maybe that's an assumption too far. That that yes, too far, <laughs> way too far. Joe Larry, thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell, thanks as always, bud. Uh, thank you, my friend. You might want to hold those thanks for an even bigger one because I found the third DP we're going to give Charlotte. Since we've given you Chiellini and Suarez, I tried to think of a third <laughs> thing that would annoy you the most, and I landed on Charlotte FC signing the Italian postal system, Ryan. There's your third DP. Have at it, buddy. Oh, my nemesis. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Tay-Tay, and thank you, listener. We'll be back on the feed very soon, but for now, bye! Post Italiani sucks. 